Well, let me ask you, the congregation, a question. Let me ask it as if we were having a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Why are you here? Why did you come today? Maybe you come every week. Maybe your parents made you come today. You were invited by a friend. I often remember what my first pastor said at the end of our Christmas Eve service every year. He'd finish preaching, he would pray, and as he walked down from the pulpit, he would always say, see you at Easter. That's how he would end. Now, some of you got that joke. For those of you who didn't, it'll come to you later on today. It's okay, it's still morning time. Honestly, maybe you're here because it's a big Christian holiday and you thought it would be good to come. If that's you, we're so glad that you're here. We just want to welcome you. We're thankful that you've joined us. Or maybe God miraculously brought you here today on December 24th, 2021. Uh, Serafina knew nothing about our church. On Christmas Eve, she was sitting alone in her flat here on Sheikh Zayed Road when she felt the Lord telling her to go, to, to go to the Crown Plaza here on Sheikh Zayed Road, a place she'd never been before. Uh, she didn't know anything about it, but she walked on over and she arrived there in the, the ground floor and she went up uh, the escalator. In the lobby, she turned to the right and she sees a group of people talking and she finds out there's a Christmas Eve church service and asks if she could attend, of which, of course, we welcomed her in. She loved it so much that she followed us to the Pullman on the 31st and then to the Crown Plaza Dira. A few weeks ago, I saw her giving high fives to church members after the service. She's been with us ever since. Maybe God brought you here through seemingly miraculous means. Maybe you're staying in the hotel today and you wandered in. A co-worker brought you. You did a Google search. You typed in Church Dubai or Easter Service Dubai. Found our website or our Facebook page. Perhaps you live in a nearby building and you heard that a church had moved into your neighborhood. Well, here's my point. It's no accident that you're here. It's no accident that you're here. You're here today because God brought you here. And I pray that he'll bring you here next week and the week after and the week after that, all the way until Christmas Eve and beyond. Now, children, you'd normally be in Redeemer Kids, but you're here. Why? Well, because God brought you here today. And my greatest prayer for you, for our tweens, for our teens, for all of our children, is that you would follow Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want to say something important to you, to you kids and tweens and teens. There's not an age of salvation it's not as if you turn 15 or 16 and then you can be saved and turn to Christ and get baptized. There's no age on salvation. Children, adults, all can come to Christ freely. No one is here today by accident. Listen, 
Talk to your parents afterwards about what you've learned and heard today. Well, okay, after all of that, we've really arrived at my actual introduction to the text. I had a strange conversation at a park this week. A married couple walked up to me and they said to me, you're Pastor Dave, right? Now, it's always scary when someone does that to me because you never know what they're going to say next. Maybe they're going to try to encourage me or maybe I'm in trouble. My mind starts wandering. What was I just doing? Was I just doing something crazy in that moment? Well, in this case, it was an encouragement, sort of. They remembered me back at the United Christian Church of Dubai in 2009. And they said, hey, you're the guy who preached about butter chicken, weren't you? They said they've been trying to solve this mystery for 13 years. That they had asked all the pastors at UCCD and all of them said it wasn't them. And so they asked me, did you mention butter, butter chicken at Ravi's restaurant at UCCD? And now I responded politely by saying, hi, yes, my name is Dave. Uh, yes, I am in fact a pastor. And while I don't remember it, I can neither confirm nor deny it. Because if someone preached about butter chicken in a sermon, it was probably me. If you know me, if you've been at Redeemer, it probably was me. And so they went on to tell me that my sermon changed their life. That they immediately went to Ravi's afterwards and had the butter chicken. And for the past 13 years, they've been eating butter chicken there all the time. They wanted to thank me for my sermon. Now, I'm glad I can make an impact on people here in Dubai through my sermons on butter chicken. And now, all that I've accomplished for us today is to make us all hunger for an early lunch, haven't I? But see, that's my point. Hunger is normally mentioned in the context of food. Some of us even get hangry. No need to raise your hand if you ever get hangry. That's being hungry and angry. You know who you are. More importantly, God knows who you are if you're a hangry person. To be hungry means to be starving for something. It's to be desirous of something. Other synonyms are eager, ravenous. It's a yearning for something you want. When your stomach grumbles, you want food. Well, today Jesus is going to talk about a different kind of hunger. Glory hunger. And we'll see the difference between hungering for your own glory and seeking it, starving after it, and hungering for God's glory. We're going to see two different things. Hungering for our own glory. Glory hunger or glory giving. Those are our two points this morning. We can either be glory hungry or we can be glory given. Pastor Alvin, glory thieves, right? Are we going to be thieves of God's glory or not? Now, last week you saw that there were two ways to live. 
Nothing in between. You either live for Christ or not. You either give up your all for Christ or not. You either follow Him or not. You either love Him or the world. There's nothing in between. We don't live in the in-betweens. At any moment, you are either glory-hungry or glory-giving. Now, kids, tweens, this applies to you as well. How do you feel when you're hungry? Well, some of you might have to use your imagination now because you're full after eating a plate of donuts out there. Now, tweens, you need to know that your pastor has eyes behind his head. I have eyes on the back of my head. It's the reason we requested smaller plates this week. I don't know if we actually got the smaller plates or not, but they're coming. When we're hungry, we want something. But children, church members, first-time visitors, are you hungry for your own glory or for God's glory? This Easter, this Resurrection Sunday, ask yourself, am I glory hungry or am I glory given? If you haven't turned there, turn to John chapter 12. We're continuing our series in John's Gospel. Today really officially puts an end to Jesus' public ministry or the description thereof starting in chapter 13 he'll be alone he'll be with his disciples he'll be with those intimate followers of his but we'll see chapter 12 come to a conclusion today if you don't have a bible with you in the bulletin you'll find all the text and you'll want to follow along because we'll be kind of jumping through it jumping along it so first point number one glory hungry in verses 37 through 43. In the previous verses, last week we saw many Jews were waving the palm branches at Jesus as he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. They believed that he was there to be their political messiah, their military messiah. He was going to go fight for them. He was going to go defeat Rome. But verse 37, not everyone believed. Not everyone In verse 38, the arm of the Lord, that refers to Jesus' miraculous signs, even with proof. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, a walking testimony, a deader-than-dead man was now alive, but even that couldn't soften hard hearts. And John is citing prophecy from Isaiah chapter 6 and 53 of Christ's Jewish rejection here in verses 38 and following. But nothing could stop God's plan. It would actually all work together. Jesus would be rejected by man, but at the same time, he would be exalted by God the Father. Isaiah 6 attributes the people's hardened hearts to God's work. Maybe you're familiar with God hardening Pharaoh's heart in Exodus. In Isaiah 6, we see this beautiful commissioning of Isaiah. Many of you know this. The Lord says, whom shall I send? Who will go? And Isaiah is kind of raising his hand there, and he says, I'll go. Send me. I'll go for you, Lord. But here's the problem with Isaiah's ministry. Here's the problem with that commissioning service in Isaiah 6. We remember the part about whom shall I send, and Isaiah standing up and saying, send me. I'll go for you, Lord. But you know, we forgot something, because in that very commissioning service, Something else is said of Isaiah's ministry. God says, you go preach, but I'm going to tell you what, they're not going to believe you. I mean, talk about a discouraging commissioning service. 
Go preach. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm going. And hey, by the way, Isaiah, no one's going to believe you. Their hearts will be hardened. And we see this throughout the scriptures, this tension between God's sovereignty and humans' responsibility. Yes, the people are guilty for not believing. And yet, at the same time, verse 40, we see that God blinded their eyes. Therefore, verse 39, they couldn't believe. They saw miracles, but they didn't really see them. Lazarus was walking around alive, but they couldn't really perceive what had happened. Now, this is a mystery to us, but somehow God's sovereignty and human responsibility go hand in hand. We are not robots. We make choices. And yet behind the veil, God chooses. That's why even believing is a gift. I love And Can It Be, one of my favorite hymns. The chains fell off. Right? We didn't break them. They fell off. God tore them off. Even believing is a gift. We can't save ourselves. God has to drop the scales from our eyes. Now, the minute this sounds harsh to us, all we have to do is to remember that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Oh, friends, none of us deserve heaven. None of us have been good. None of us are without one sin. In all likelihood, none of us are without one sin even this morning. Fellow Christian, on this Resurrection Sunday, rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice in the one who hung on a cross, was buried in a tomb, and was raised from the dead for you. He's alive. He's alive. He rose, and he gave you eyes to see. Unlike these leaders whose hearts were hardened, he softened your heart. He opened your eyes to see. The chains fell off. You rose, and you went free because he opened your eyes. And friend, if you're here today and you don't yet follow Christ, I'm especially glad that you've come this morning. Let me tell you the best prayer you can pray today. If you don't yet see clearly, if you don't yet follow Christ, here's the best prayer you can pray. Lord, please give me eyes to see. Give me a heart to believe. That's a prayer that our great God loves to answer. Isaiah in verse 41 likely sees the pre-incarnate Christ in his glory and testifies of him. Friend, you probably won't have a vision like Isaiah. You might, probably won't, but you pray to God and you ask him to give you a spiritual sight to see. And then keep coming on Sundays. Keep sitting under the preached word. We, want, we can give you a Bible if you don't have a Bible. You can find one on your phone. We could show you how to access it. And just start reading and start praying that prayer. Oh, Lord, open my eyes. He loves to answer that prayer. You never know when he'll open them. To the seven-year-old child, to the 70-year-old man or woman in this room, could it be even today that God might open your eyes to see Jesus as a Savior? When our passage, some religious leaders did believe. 
Did you see that? Look at verse 42. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. But then there's the key verse. Here's the key verse as to why they didn't speak up. Verse 43, for they loved, listen to this, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Alvin, glory thieves. They cared more about the glory from man than from God. Now, to give glory, it means to uh, believe something's impressive. It's to attribute worth and significance to something. And you see what's happening here. The authorities were glory hungry. They cared more about what the Pharisees would approve than God's approval. And they stayed quiet. They wouldn't publicly proclaim their faith as several did on the beach in baptism just a few hours ago. The price was too high for them. It meant, verse 42, being put out of the synagogue. They'd be an outsider. That's what that meant. They'd lose honor. It was too much. They were glory hungry, but for the wrong kind of glory. Similar problem, Matthew chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount. The religious leaders, what would they do? They would stand on the street corners and they would pray really long, really loud prayers. Why? So they could talk to God? No, so that the other people around them could think how holy they were. They made a mockery of prayer. It was hypocrisy. It's glory hunger. The reformer John Calvin writes, these leaders were bound by the golden shackles of earthly honors and thus kept them from honoring God. Well, church, all of us desire glory. Every one of us. That part is true. A pastor in my hometown named J.R. Vassar wrote a book called Glory Hunger. In it, he says, we were all made for glory. It's our heart's desire and even God's design, but something went horribly wrong back in the garden in the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve sought glory for themselves and we've all followed suit. The problem is we've looked for glory in all the wrong places. A glory hunger for the approval of our friends. We spend time on social media working to, to hide whatever it is in our lives we want to tuck away and to highlight the glories of our lives. The acceptance of family. Some of us parents need to repent of crushing our children under unfair expectations in school just so we look good around our friends with their accomplishments. Or how about a subtle way of glory hunger? A subtle way we exhibit it. Slander. How do you talk about other people? When you slander someone, you put them down and you put yourself above them. And in doing so, we're actually stealing someone else's glory and reputation to try and build our own. We might see this in how we speak about fellow students, other kids at school, co-workers, members of the church, or even how we speak about other churches or ministries. 
J.R. Vassar says, living with glory hunger is like one big audition with the world as our audience and judge. And it never ends. We get going in this crazy cycle and we can't get out. We're like Sisyphus, a king in Greek mythology, punished by the gods to spend eternity pushing up a large rock to the top of a hill. Only which to get to the top and for the rock to roll all the way back down and for Sisyphus to try again and again and again for eternity, an endless cycle. Reading about him this week in Vassar's book reminded me about the window washers at the Burj Khalifa. Have you ever thought about those heroes of the window washing world? Someone has to wash the outside of the windows and they get on cables and they start at the top and they wash the windows until they get down to the bottom. But what happens after they get down to the bottom? Well, the windows at the top are dirty again, and they have to go all the way back and start over again. It's an endless cycle. This is our glory hunger. It never ends. It never fully satisfies our hearts, and we go at it again and again and again, only to start over when we had thought we were satisfied. Well, living for glory is exhausting, isn't it? One championship isn't enough. A million dirhams, not enough. The new house back home won't do it. The ministry position, Pastor Joe prayed for our new deacons. We're so thankful for these new deacons. We're thankful for them serving. We'll recognize them here in a service in a few weeks, but I promise their recognition won't fulfill them. Their title won't fulfill them. Even pastoring a church won't fulfill you. If our elders are serving for earthly praise, I promise my other eight elders that no encouragement is going to satisfy our hearts. If that's what we're seeking fulfillment in, it will fail. Well, here are a few more quotes from Vassar's book, Glory Hunger. It was so helpful to me. Let me just read these statements one after another. Maybe something will resonate with you today. We're broken people looking to other broken people to fix our broken lives. The problem is they can't. We need men and women who stop selling tickets to their own show and are praying for Jesus to take center stage and set the world right. What if Jesus satisfied your heart? What if Jesus was enough so that you didn't need approval from others? The happiest people are those who are free from personal glory hunger and refuse to compete with God for glory. They look at the cross and realize that they are sinners in need of grace. I love that one. The happiest people. This is true. The happiest people, the most joyful people are the ones with their eyes on the cross, are the ones with their eyes on Jesus, are the ones with their eyes fixed. I'm the savior of the world. That's the truth of Good Friday. Christ died for us. 
Last week, I noticed something interesting about our little dog, Rudy. We all love Rudy. He's small and yet very excitable and entertaining. He loves when we rub his belly. He loves when we pet him. And he was sitting on the floor near me, just laying there. Uh, But as soon as Gloria sat down next to me, Rudy looked up and saw Gloria's face, and he started wagging his tail. Now, he was, he was laying down sideways, and so to wag his tail meant him slapping his tail on the floor over and over, making a loud sound. And in case you don't know, when dogs are happy, they wag their tails. And Rudy was really wagging his tail. What brought Rudy joy? Well, just seeing Gloria's face. Gloria brought him no treats. Gloria didn't even touch him or pet him. She was just there. And he was so thankful just to be into her presence, just to look into her eyes. It was sheer joy. A church, the happiest people on earth are those who look at Christ. The only thing that can bring us true joy is to be in his presence and to look at him as the Savior who has died for us. He gives the best gifts, but the best gift is himself. Oh, friends, if you're saved, you can look at the cross and you can know that you have already received approval from the only one who really matters. Jesus died on the cross to save you from the bondage of glory hunger. When you look at Jesus, it frees you from depending on human praise because the most important person, the God-man, Jesus Christ, already loves you and approves of you because of the cross. You are his. You're an object of his mercy. You are loved by him. You are precious in his sight. He gave his life for you. Well, having glory that comes from the ultimate person frees us from glory hunger. Now, instead of window washing up and down, the birds Khalifa over and over again, let's break the cycle, church. Let's break this cycle. Let's look to Jesus to fulfill our hearts. Let's look at his life. Let's look at his death. Let's look at his resurrection. And let's find our soul's satisfaction there and only there. And instead of being glory hungry, we should seek to be glory giving. That's the second point today. We'll be brief here. We'll see how Jesus was the ultimate glory giver. Number two, glory giving verses 44 through 50. There are many wonderful truths in these verses. We could spend all day. Here's a a summary of Christ's mission. Verse 44, believing in Jesus also means believing in the one who sent him. Verse 45, whoever sees me sees him who sent me. Now, who's Jesus talking about? Well, God the Father. You see that in verses 49 and 50, and of course, throughout John's gospel. To see Jesus was to see the Father. Jesus is God in the flesh. And so verse 46, Jesus says, I've come into the world as light, so if you believe in me, you can transfer from the kingdom of darkness all the way to the kingdom of light. D.A. Carson says that Jesus is the great revealer of God. We saw this back in John chapter 1 and in chapter 8. He says, I am the light of the world. Verse 47 is amazing. 
He's saying, my ultimate aim isn't judging the world. But at that, I've come to save the world. There will be judgment in the second coming. Christ is coming back. And on that day, the, the full judgment will come. But here, in the first coming of Christ, he had one main mission. And that was to save souls. He came on mission. These signs were so that we would believe. His preaching was so that we would believe. Now these words, friends, are dripping with grace. Christ came on mission to make disciples of all nations. But verse 48, the one who rejects me, well, they'll have me as a judge and they will be judged. Because this isn't me talking here. Look at verses 49 and 50. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Everything Jesus says and everything Jesus does comes from the Father. You could even say, as D.A. Carson says of Jesus' words, it's not just what he says, but even how he says it that has been commanded from the Father. For Jesus, the Father not only shapes and sanctions his speech, but leads him to the cross. Now, Jesus is all about glorifying the Father. He is a glory giver. Do you see the difference? In the first verse is what's happening. The religious leaders were glory hungry for themselves. They wanted to feed their own egos. But in the second section, what does Jesus do? How does Jesus live? What does he say here? Verse 44, you believe in me, you're believing in the Father. You see me, you see him. Verse 49, I've not spoken on my own authority, but on the Father's. I didn't send myself. The Father sent me. I don't say whatever I want, but the words he gave me. Verse 50, again, I say what the Father has told me. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? Whose glory is he hungry for? Well, well, for God the Father. He's glory giving. The authorities were clinging to their glory. Jesus was always about the Father's glory. He's giving it away. Sent by the Father, Jesus fully obeys the Father and even speaks the words of the Father. In verse 50, these words, they are the commandments of eternal life. Jesus followed the Father's lead, which will lead him to the cross. Now imagine how different your life would look if you stopped seeking glory from others and instead started seeking glory for them. Let me ask that question again. It's a paradigm shift from the religious authorities' way of life to Jesus' way of life. How different would your life look if you stopped seeking glory from others and instead started seeking glory for them, instead of trying to tear others down to build yourself up? What if we went about our day seeking to encourage others, to bless others? Oh, friends, this would change our lives and change our church. Well, let me close with a story from my last week. That's why I wasn't on the beach this morning. I was sleeping. See, earlier, just really three days ago, or two, three days ago, I had a traumatic accident. I normally wake up in the middle of the night to go use the washroom, but this time I don't remember waking up. 
My first memory was feeling really dizzy and leaning up against the wall in my bedroom. I woke up uh, the second after, I woke up after shuffling my feet across the room, no recollection of this. I woke up to my head smashing down on the bottom of the wall and floor of my bedroom. It was like a bolt of lightning had come through me. All I could see was a bright white light and I had thought that I broke my neck. I couldn't move my hands or legs for a few seconds. I was so stunned I thought I might be paralyzed. My hands were covered in blood. It was one of the most terrifying moments of my life. After a few seconds I realized I could move all my limbs. I was so happy. I was happy crying in that moment. And I recited a verse there to Gloria. She obviously was awake from all the commotion. I recited a verse that I had just been praying for just a few hours earlier that evening from Psalm 63, verse 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. And I just started reciting that because just a few hours before that, I had prayed through that verse for my own life. I said, Father, your steadfast love is better than any ministry I can do. Forgive me for ever thinking otherwise. I prayed, Father, your love is better than any parenting I can do. Your love is better than any gift I could receive or give. Your love, I prayed, is better than even my health. And friends, you know that I've been begging God to heal the nerve problem in my arms. And I prayed that night. Prayed that night not only for healing, but I prayed, Father, your love is better than even my healing. It was hard to pray that, but I said, Father, forgive me for at times wanting health more than I've wanted you. Father, forgive me for at times wanting my glory more than I've wanted your glory. Forgive me for trying to steal that. And there I was, a few hours later, laying on the ground. It took me about an hour just to sit up straight. I was so dizzy. After several hours, we went to the hospital. I had fainted. I had a concussion along with hurting my left arm. I actually fell on my left elbow, hurt my knee and neck. My ear was bleeding. Later on that day, Gloria reminded me about how the psalmist begins in Psalm 63. And you have permission to laugh at this part, okay? You have my permission to laugh. She opens up to that psalm that I had just been praying that his steadfast love is better than life. And she opens it up, verse 1, chapter 63, Psalm 63. Here's what the psalmist says. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. And then listen to this. My flesh faints for you. That's literally in the text. Psalm 63, verse 1, it's what I read that night, and faint I did. But I've been thinking about these words ever since. Redeemer Church, the steadfast love of Christ is better than life. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? His steadfast love is better than anything life can give, physical life, your healing your relational troubles, your difficult, challenging job, your children, your parents. His steadfast love is better than life. It's better than anything we can get in this world. His glory is better than any glory we can have for ourselves. Jesus is better than anything and everything. Amen? Friends, to gain the whole world but lose Christ? That would be a travesty. That would be horrible. Redeemer Church, Redeemer Church, 
Jesus was and is the ultimate glory giver. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. Easter, this resurrection Sunday, means we can give up our glory hunger. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead means he really is the Savior of the world. And Christian, if you're following the Savior, no other glory matters. His resurrection means he's in charge. His resurrection means that his steadfast love is better than life. And so church, let's give up our glory hunger this holiday because Jesus is all we need. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, I just had a concussion and I feel I could preach all day these truths. Lord, Father, we thank you. Your steadfast love is better than life. Oh, Lord, would we as a church not be glory thieves? Would we not be glory hungry? Would we be glory givers? And would we live in light of the glory that has come through Christ? Father, let, let us not take from this just a, another item on our checklist now, but let us live in light of this great gospel. Let us live in light of Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Let us live in light that Jesus lived the perfect life, that he never sinned, and he went to the cross and he died for his people. He bled and died. Oh, what a wonderful Savior. He took upon himself our sins, the wrath of God. He was buried in a tomb. But Father, he didn't stay dead, but he rose from the dead. Oh, Father, would we give him all the glory, all the praise today? And may our hearts never cease to praise you. This Sunday, tomorrow, and every day, we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.